When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the family on the Tom Bernard Podcast with Alex Bernard Rasmussen and Andy Bernard. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, right back with Harlan Ullman, U-L-L-M-A-N. He's got a new book out. You can get it everywhere, including on Amazon, of course. The book is called The Fifth Horseman and the New Mad, How Massive Attacks of Disruption Became the Looming Existential Danger to a Divided Nation and the World at Large. I think I'm going to love this guy. Laurie Garver, terrific. Harlan Ullman, I think it'll be terrific, and we'll be right back. Tommy, do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue? You mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the walls of world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finish number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J-Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Wow, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the Minnesota sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this. If the adjuster really, truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Hey, this Brian's up. Summer is finally here. And if you're like me, you've got some serious riding planned. 
Make sure you and your motorcycle are good to go with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, metric cruiser, or sport bike, you'll find what you need at Dennis Kirk. 160,000 parts and accessories in stock. Clothing and helmets, too. Order before 8 p.m., and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Follow Zepp's lead and head to DennisKirk.com. They ship today. That's Alex playing the guitar and the harmonica. I'm, right I'm a woman of many talents. One-man band things that they used to do. A woman of many. Yes, exactly. Stand there. Have the little symbols on yep, your knees. Exactly. So you clap your knees together. You'd be okay. You'd be good to go. We have our guests. Harlan Allman, ladies and gentlemen. The book is called The Fifth Horseman and the New Mad, How Massive Attacks of Disruption Became the Looming Existential Danger to a Divided Nation and the World at Large. Uh, books available on Amazon and everywhere, as a matter of fact. Harlan... You've hit a home run with me because I'm telling you what, I am just getting so worn out from the Democrats and the Republicans. You're going to have to tell me what I can do. I'm telling you. I, it's I will be delighted. <laughs> I, I would be delighted. be delighted. But the issue here, Tom, is I point out my book in the preface. It starts on January 20th, 2029, when President Ann Jackson Barnett is taking the oath of office in a concrete iceberg below the earth at an undisclosed location because the White House and Congress have been destroyed by rioters along with many Capitol buildings and other offices that belong to state and federal governments because the nation is in panic. And whether that can happen or not, I would just make the point that on January 1st, 2020, nobody anticipated a COVID pandemic that would kill more Americans than were killed in battle in every war we fought. Yep. And indeed, riots over a black man killed by a policeman in Minneapolis that yep. would have extraordinary consequences. I don't think this is going to happen. But we have to understand that the country is in the wrong trajectory. and We, the people, have to turn it around. My book explains how we got here and what we need to do about it. See, I, I, you're going to cheer me up a lot. Uh, it's just one of those things, Harlan. I... I well, we were just talking to Lori Garver, who's a brilliant woman, worked for NASA for many, many years, and uh, we were talking about SpaceX and, you know, the, the Blue Origin yeah, and all that. Sure. And, and, I, and I brought up the fact that he lands a Blue Origin and gives $100 million to a news anchor, and it was never reported that I saw anyway, Harlan, that he didn't give him the money. He let that man choose who he should give the money to. In other words, who sure. would... Well, why don't they report things like that, Harlan? I didn't like that guy because they'd never report. If they had told me it was for charity or to help people, I would have said, well, that's very admirable. That's very nice. But they never even bothered to tell us that part. Well, news, news and media reflect society. You have to realize that news and media are a business proposition. Yes. So yep. ratings count. Um, numbers of copies count. And unfortunately, the media publishes, or fortunately, what the public wants. Now, having said that, how do we fix this? And the answer is it's going to take a hell of a long time. Yeah. First of all, Americans have to realize that these massive attacks of disruption, whether acts of nature or man, are the major threat. Let's just take Ukraine for a second, beyond the war in Ukraine, beyond what it means for NATO. Ukraine, because it's being embargoed having wheat, is going to force a huge starvation among hundreds of millions of people. Right. What is that going to do? it's going to force migration. And if we thought during the Arab Spring migration from Africa to Europe was heavy, this is going to be even heavier. 
And if we are worried about our southern border, believe me, over the coming months, oh. people will be trying to flock to any country where there is food. That's what I call a massive attack of disruption, and it's just one of many. Now, the question is, how do we deal with it? We don't have time for me to go through the last three chapters of my book where I talk about fundamental <laughs> okay. reorganization of the, of the White House which is still organized when George Washington was president in 1789, and Congress, which needs to be organized in the 21st century. But let me give your listeners two big ideas. The second one will draw smiles, but it's how we can fix Congress overnight. First, we need a national infrastructure investment fund. Love it. It has to be modeled over the public-private way that we funded part of World War II with war bonds, it will pay 2% or so over prime rates, so it's attractive. And it will raise 2 or 3 or $4 trillion, which will go to infrastructure writ large. I don't mean just roads or bridges or airports. Right. I mean our medical infrastructure. I mean our educational infrastructure. I mean our supply chain infrastructure. I mean our research and development infrastructure. These are things that have to be funded. Now, where this is different, in 2008, during the financial crisis, Congress appropriated $800 billion to take the big banks public so there'd be enough liquidity. But the government was really clever. The government took skin in the bank. They took equity in the form of warrants. So when the loans were repaid and they were paid very quickly, the shares of the banks went sky high and the government made 8 or $10 billion. Why can't we do this again? When we're investing in companies and in infrastructure, the government should take a piece of the action, so it helps to pay off the debt. But nobody's too clever. People are just uh, unable to do that. Second, this will make people smile. The way to fix Congress overnight is to, is to make sure and order before any member of Congress votes, he or she swears or affirms that he or she has read and understood the bill. Oh, I cannot God. believe that that is not commonplace already. You would think that would be like a no-brainer. Of course, but people are going to say, well, it's 3,000 pages. I can't do that. They give me the bill at 10 o'clock at night. i got to vote at 8 o'clock in the morning. Nonsense. If you're a CEO of a public company and you do what members of Congress are going to do, the Sarbanes-Oxley Act can accuse you of committing a crime or God. submitting falsified material. And what happens? You just have to have smaller bills that are read in advance and mm -hmm. people understand what's in them. And when you say you can't do this, in 1973, when Donald Rumsfeld was Secretary of Defense, the first time during a war in Vietnam in which we had hundreds of thousands of Americans fighting and dying. The defense authorization bill was 93 pages long. Oh. Now, tell me why we can't do that. Again. You're right. Tell me why we can't do that. It's all and the, the public needs common sense. But for example, we have a Department of Education. The issue is not education. I think I've got about six degrees. That doesn't mean I know anything. This is about <laughs> learning and knowledge. Where is our Department of Learning and Knowledge? We have a Department of, of Agriculture, yet the number of individual farmers is statistically non-existent. We need to reform the structure of government as a starter, which we can do. We need to have a major investment program to raise America to be competitive for the 21st century. And I've got a number of recommendations for our foreign and defense policy, because frankly, the defense we have right now is unaffordable for reasons that do not apply to the Pentagon, just the way that we do business. And we're taking on two enemies at once. Russia and China that we don't need to do. We need to remember that uh, 81 years ago, Hitler launched Operation Barbarossa against Russia, right. a two-front war. That mandated he was going to lose, following Napoleon's path in 1812. We, we don't need to, and we shouldn't be fighting a two-front war against Russia and China. 
Uh, we can take the RTO with Russia now. China is a longer-term issue. But unfortunately, I think we're on the wrong path. And the book argues how we can correct that path and put America in a position where it's going to be safer, more secure, and more prosperous. Harlan, obviously I was not around. You were not around. And uh, Andy, who was just talking to you there, he's 35. My daughter's here as well. She's 33. But I want to ask you a question uh, because I've never understood this, and I've tried to find out more about it. But before I was born, long before you guys were born, um, President Eisenhower uh, built the freeway system. But is it not true that the personal tax rate went up to 70% to fund that? Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. The personal tax rate was high. Kennedy cut it way, way, way back. But it was an entirely different era. Right. I mean, things were not nearly as expensive. You could buy a home, you know, for three or four thousand dollars. Cars did not cost as much. Right. But what's happened, everything has inflated greatly. And interestingly, the Eisenhower Highway Act was called the National Offense Act. Right. Because this was done in terms of national offense. Eisenhower had got it right. He understood strategy. He understood the need for a strong domestic uh, uh, economy. That was the whole thrust of his famous speech, in which he talked about a military-industrial complex. He wasn't deriding the notion of the complex. He was afraid we would spend too much money on defense and neglect the domestic economy. And quite frankly, we're doing that right now. Yeah, that's exactly it. And Harlan, that's exactly why I brought it up. Boy, you are a smart guy, aren't you? No, but I also say, uh, look, I am for a strong, I'm going to, I'm for, nobody is for a stronger defense. Right. But we're building legacy systems, in some cases, that are 40 years old. We should learn from what's happening in Ukraine about how future wars are going to be fought, going to be fought. What we can do is contain Russia and China, and we can do it with weapons that are far less expensive with greater alliance on allies. And people who say you just can't do it because look at Russia and China, I would say look at Ukraine. Ukraine is bleeding Russia white. Whether they win or not is not the issue. This has shown what we need to be thinking about in the future, because quite frankly, not only can we not afford the force, but the all-volunteer force is now fiction because it's all-recruited force. And if you take a look at the cohort of potential people who can join the military, who are physically, mentally, and morally qualified, it is shrinking dramatically. So we have these issues with which we can deal if we anticipate them now. But as I argue in my book, the biggest act of mass disruption is a failed and failing government. And we've got to learn to try and fix that. And I have some recommendations about how the president, and this was written before Joe Biden was elected, uh, finished before Joe Biden was elected, needs to sit down in a locked room in Camp David with the senior members of both parties in Congress and not come out until they agree on a major strategy for this country that has economical, economic, political, strategic, and military aspects covered in which people will agree and where they are not. Until we do that, the current system is badly broken. Has this it's country, going to take a long time to say. Has this country had a clearly defined trajectory in 40 years, do you think? Yes, of course. That trajectory ended roughly in 1989 with the demise of the Soviet mm-hmm. Union because we lost a clarifying threat. But even then, we got it wrong. I fought in the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War was a huge mistake. In fact, all the wars we start, we lose, and they become catastrophe. Uh, Afghanistan, uh, the second Iraq War and Vietnam are among that. But my point is, we do not to be, need to be spending a huge amount of money we are on defense, because most of that money goes to people, and most yeah. of that money goes to legacy systems, which are terribly Look, this technology is brilliant, but you don't need F-35s and $15 billion aircraft carriers to be able to prevent China or Russia 
from doing bad things. We have better systems, as the war in Ukraine is showing. I'm not saying get rid of all of them. I'm saying we need to keep half about what we have, and with the other half, build up a 21st century war fighting capacity. You know, Harlan, i got to tell you, you're talking to the right people because uh, uh, I, uh, I've been talking about, I, again, I, I reference this once in a while because you're, I've never talked to you before, I don't think, but I also do a, a, a morning talk show in town, and I've been talking for quite some time about these very things, uh, how we can handle them. Uh, I am not a Democrat. I am not a Republican. I'm a centrist. And I, what I found out about that, Harlan, is by saying I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat, now they both don't like me. <laughs> so there you not, you're, you're not, we're, we, You and I are both offers. I go a step further, Tom. I'm a radical centrist. Yeah, right. America exactly. belongs in the center. Yep. It's center left, center, center right. And unfortunately, because both political parties have become so dominated by extreme wings, yep. Donald Trump and the Republicans and excessive progressives for the Democrats, yep. the middle has been cut out. And the middle is where America should be. It's going to take time to fix that. I had great expectations that Joe Biden was going to be able to do that. But sadly, I'm now quite critical of Joe, even though I admire him and know him. Um, it's just not getting the, the job done. And so I would only I would only ask that, Tom, that you... Uh, beseech your readers, your uh, listeners, to buy and read my book. So, one, they understand the severity of the difficulties we face from massive attacks of disruption. But two, having understood that, there are solutions. This is not a desperate time. We have technology that is the most dazzling technology in history that can be put to good use. Artificial intelligence, genomics, all these kinds of things. If we only unleash, we need to call more on the private sector. And that's one way that we're going to work our way out of this mess. A small example going back to Ukraine. Everybody was paranoid about cyber war and what Russia was going to do. Russia is losing the cyber war in Ukraine for a yeah. number of reasons. Not only are the Ukrainians very good at it, but the American private sector, Google, uh, Microsoft, are chipping in to help Ukraine. It's the private sector. So, I mean, these are the things that we can ignite. America has a huge entrepreneurial spirit. We have to call on that spirit to get America out of the doldrums and to improve standards of living for everybody. And it can be done. That is interesting that you mentioned the private sector because we just had Lori Garver on. Uh, she was the former, former yeah. deputy administrator of NASA. Uh, and she was talking at length about how the private sector, uh, SpaceX, that sort of thing, are stepping up and bringing us back into the space age. Absolutely. I mean, Elon Musk has got 2,000 satellites of his own in space. Right. That's probably more than 90% of, the, of countries that have satellites in space. Of course. And we need to call on the private sector. But unfortunately, uh, some people in Congress, both Republicans and Democrats, are out to kill the private sector, whether it's the energy companies, yeah. whatever. And it would be useful if we had a good energy strategy, which we don't. Because the notion that overnight we're going to transition to uh, renewable fuels mm -hmm. is madness. We're going to need to use fossil fuels. And yes. it's nice to say electric cars are going to save the day, but electric cars are expensive. They're very expensive energy-wise to manufacture. And where is the electricity going to come from right. to power them? It's going to take your plug and put it in the atmosphere and hope that it's going to work. Harlan, your dog's mad at you. By dog. No, no, she's very happy. She's saying, yes, he's right. Listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I'm glad to hear that. Harlan, I'm, I'm glad we got on this topic because uh, I need to ask, and, and I don't think this is off topic, is digital making Americans, particularly in the whole world, uh, is it making people dumber by the day? Because let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So we can't make our own oil and gas in this country. We can't do that. Oh, my God, we can't do that. But we can go to a country like Saudi Arabia where they throw gay people off of buildings and kill women. That's okay to do business with people like that? What is that, Harlan? And kill And kill American, Saudi American journalists. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Life can, is a contradiction. Ha- Harlan, how do people sit by and let this happen? I don't get it. Well, if I don't see it happening, it's not happening. But Jesus. Well, well first of all, First of all, a couple of factoids here. Okay. Uh, the United States is, is, is producing more gas and oil than it ever has. Right. The overarching, and, and companies are making a huge fortune, and whether there should be a windfall tax or not is a failed proposition. But the problem is that demand is increasing post-COVID. The uh, withdrawal and sanctions of Russia, Russian gasoline, has reduced by about 3 million barrels a day the amount of oil on the market. So now you've got huge pent-up demand. And even if the Saudis and the Emirates increase oil production to, say, a million barrels a day, there's still a two-million-barrel delta. God. And we have to deal with that. So there's – even if the president – and by the way, the president is going to Saudi Arabia, in essence, to meet with the Gulf Cooperative Council, GCC, right, right. which Saudi Arabia is a part. But the administration's public relations strategy is focusing on whether or not to meet MBS, and it needed to change the narrative. That's a further problem. The White House cannot get out of its own way right. in public relations. And unless you have a strong White House with good public relations that are direct and honest but clever, it just makes life more difficult. And so anywhere you look, uh, I don't want to say the country is in trouble, right. but things are not going, going well. And we can fix it. We've sounded the alarm. There are ways to do it, but it's going to require the goodwill of Americans to say, look, enough is enough. We need to be more civil. No more fistfights on airplanes. Right. Unfortunately, we need to do something about gun laws. And what Congress is going to do, which will be seen as miraculous because they pass something, is it's going to be on the margin at best. And if it does help mental illness, that's fine. But it's not going to do anything really for gun violence, in my judgment. And, and that's why I ask you, are we getting dumber as a society? Because th- nothing is going well right now. Everything is off kilter. There's so much more violence than there was. People are very ill at ease. Nobody can get like Democrats or Republicans can't get along. Nobody can get along. I, it's just poor leadership, is it not? Acro- and I'm talking about across the board, poor leadership. Well, that's part of it. It's yeah. just the way that society is going. We have done it to ourselves. Yeah, we uh, have. Donald Trump. Donald Trump was a symptom of the way society was headed. He had exactly the right personality and charisma. Right. People wanted somebody who was strong and who was going to break the mold. And the trouble is that while Trump had some very, very good ideas, he was not a businessman and really couldn't follow through a way a businessman was. He was a real estate entrepreneur. He was right. a salesman. And so even the good ideas he had were not, were not able to be put really in practice. And so you got the worst of all world. You got his personality, and the difficulties with that and his conduct. But you couldn't get the, the policies that are necessary. In comes Joe Biden, who I think is a terrific guy with more experience than any president elect in our history ever had. And he's fumbling. Yep. He's fumbling. And so um, Americans have to realize that you know we've been through worse times. We went through a civil war. We went through a depression and World War II when we were really on our knees after Pearl Harbor. And we 
have to demand of our elected officials that they have got to take a strain and do better. An example, nobody thought Harry Truman was going to be a good president. Right. They thought, here's this guy from, from Missouri. You know, he was a haberdasher. Who is this guy? He's being controlled by politicians back there. And the fact of the matter is he turned out to be a spectacularly good president. So that can happen. Yeah, no question about it. Is that your dog calling you? <laughs> that's, another, that's another robocall, which is part of American society. They, this is a minor act of disruption. Oh, believe me, we know. <laughs> we definitely know we about that. We used to have a landline on this show, but we got something like 60 of those a day. So I just kind of unplugged it. Yeah. But your point about America being dumbed down, uh, I don't think that's the case. So I think that Good. education has been whipsawed, has been whipsawed by the extremes of left and right. When I went to school, and I'm a good deal older than you, my teachers were either women who had been teaching for 25 years and would brook nothing from students. Yep. You had better behave. And this wasn't even a Catholic school. And male teachers who had got their <laughs> teaching degree from the GI Bill. Those instructors were the best teachers I ever had, with due deference to spending two and a half years at graduate school getting a PhD. That's gone. And you take a look at the number of teachers that are quitting, just because of the difficulties in schools. Right. So what we're seeing is something manifested across society. It's just not limited to one or two or three sectors. And I repeat, the fifth horseman demonstrates what the problems are, how we got here, and what we can do about it. But it's going to require collective action on the part of Americans, and that's why I hope being on programs like yours and others, I can generate sufficient interest so people will uh, pay far more attention that beyond their own lives, which are very important, They've got to pay attention to how they're being governed. Otherwise, the situation is not going to be self-healing. You are correct. Now, I do have to bring something up, Harlan, because I, we were just talking about this. Um, oh, and you said you, you know Joe Biden. I got a call a couple of years yeah. ago uh, from President Trump, and he wanted me to have lunch with him. Uh, so I went to lunch with, with President Trump, and there were, God, about 10 people there, something like that. He is, he is nothing like that in person. That whole way he's over I'm the, sure he's charming. Yeah, he's a very, very charming guy. And if he would just have acted like that, like he really is, instead of putting on this act that he put on, wouldn't that have been a much better situation, you think? Well, of course. But look, there are so many fundamental problems here. Yeah. One, of the, yeah. one of the great basic problems of government, and this goes back to the Kennedy administration, is a, a failure to have sufficient knowledge and understanding of what's going on. That's how we got into Vietnam. That's how we got into Afghanistan. We did not know what we were doing. And similarly, with the economy, too often, you've got too many academics who haven't done anything. The best, one of the best Treasury secretaries was Hank Paulson. And where did Hank come from? He was chairman of Goldman Sachs. Oh, I think you, you need to have people who are not in the academic world, but people have real-time real-time ability. And even Ben Bernanke, who was indeed a, a professor at Princeton, who was chairman of the Fed, and so studied the Great Depression that he was probably one of the experts. So at the time of the 2008 financial collapse, you probably had the two most competent Americans to deal with these issues. And unfortunately, administrations are now picking people either politically because they're owed debts or for diversity. And while I think diversity is really important, uh, I want to have the best, most qualified person. If that person has got five legs and is purple, I don't care but I want the most qualified people, and we're losing the ability to do that simply because we're pursuing diversity for diversity's uh, sake 
and lots of people are going to criticize me. I'm a racist. I'm uh, anti-feminist. That's oh, not. Yeah. yeah. I was one of the few people who really thought we needed earlier more women in the military because, quite frankly, the women that I have known and served in the military tend to be tougher than the men. And I suspect the men will resent that. <laughs> but the point is, we, yeah. we need quality. We need quality. Well, I'm an equal opportunity offender, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> me too. And, me too. And, and so there are things that we can do, but the public has got to become outraged. And whomever they're elect, they've got to ask these people tough questions. You have a number of people running for high office in government who should never be there, and they should be challenged to explain their views. And unfortunately, uh, their views are going to be seconded and, and, uh, and uh, amplified by people of a particular persuasion, left or right, to drown out the middle. And so I argued in my book how there are ways to do this to pre-qualify people for high office. <clears throat> but unless we take action across the board, the one thing I can guarantee you is that in the future, the standard of living for most Americans is going to decline and the American dream is going to be increasingly elusive and, for some people, impossible to achieve. And that will be a national catastrophe because America then will not be the America of today and the past. No, no question about it. I, I do want to read this this uh, uh, paragraph because I want, you know, I don't want people thinking, well, this is just some guy who wrote a book. That's not true. Harlan Ullman is an advisor to the most senior leaders in various governments and industries. He has served on a number of advisory boards, including for NATO's Supreme Allied Command, uh, Commander uh, Europe, 20, uh, excuse me, 2004 to 16. He's senior advisor at Washington, D.C.'s Atlantic Council, chairman of One Private Companies and principal author of The Doctrine of Shock and Awe and a Brains-Based Approach to Strategic Thinking. A former naval person, he commanded a destroyer in the Persian Gulf, was decorated for leading over 150 combat missions and operations in Vietnam as a swift boat skipper. His newest book, The Fifth Horseman and uh, The New Mad, How Massive Attacks of Disruption Became the Looming Existential Danger to a Divided Nation, the World at Large. I always like to point out, because a lot of people go, well, what does this guy know? Well, Harlan, you just proved to me by reading the, uh, me reading that paragraph that you know exactly what the hell you're talking about. I think that's wonderful you've stepped up. Well, thank you very much, and I'll make a, a final point that you might find it a real interest, Tom. Uh, 1975, as a very young officer, but having to have a PhD, I was assigned to the National War College as a professor of strategy. And the students there were older than I and more senior. And one of them, in the class of 1976, was a lieutenant colonel about to be promoted to colonel called Colin Powell. Oh, and Colin sure. and I became fast friends. And in one of my lectures, <clears throat> and all of us had come out of Vietnam, all the military people had, many of the civilians, uh, and one thing was in common, whether you were in the Army, Navy, Marine Corps, or Air Force, that every bullet we fired, every artillery round, mortar, rocket we shot, every bomb we dropped, missed. We expended more ordnance in Southeast Asia than we did in World War II, believe it or not. God. And so I said, look, this is, I'm going to change warfare. There's something called the chip. What happened? What happens when you can hit what you shoot at on the first shot? And people looked at me and said, oh, it never happened. Look at what, look what happened to Vietnam. Right. I said, it will. A week later, a week later, Colin Powell came up to me and said, Harlan, you're right. This will change warfare. Well, <clears throat> what the chip and precision has done to warfare and, and transforming it, um, I would argue that massive attacks of disruption is doing to national and global security. It is transforming it profoundly. Unless we understand that's happening, we're not going to be able to grapple with it. And that's what we need to do. We have the ability, we have the resources, we have the human capital, we have the physical capital. 
if only we can harness it. And so that's why I think this book is so important, and that's why I think that if enough Americans read it, I think they will become engaged, and I think that's a good way to start turning this colossal ship of state into a better direction. God, I certainly hope so. Harlan, I, I, I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. You know what you're talking about. And by the way, I don't think you are much older than I am. I think we're about the same age, actually, from what you just described, uh, I believe. Uh, you know, and it's interesting. Well, I'll tell you, I'm 70 years old. Okay, so that's, that's where I am right now. So I don't know if I'm older than you or younger than you. I have no idea. But um, my... We'll keep it that way. We'll keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we can keep it that way. But I had an, uh, an older brother. My brother, Terry, was nine years older than me, served in Vietnam, did five years in the Marine Corps. Uh, and what, Harlan, what that did to him, and I think this is part of it, and this is the reason I'm bringing it up. He came back. When he left, he was Wally Cleaver. And when he came back right. from Vietnam, a couple tours in Vietnam, he was a totally different human being, Harlan, I'll tell you that. And I think we should honor people like that. What they went through to get us where we need to be. I don't like the fact that that both sides do nothing but complain about this is horrible and that's horrible. Why don't you grow a pair and act like a man or a woman? Like you said, the women are tougher than the men, right? Absolutely. I also had the experience in, in uh, mid-1967 of being summoned to the White House from Vietnam with two other young officers to speak to President Johnson about how the war was going. Right. It was quite an interesting meeting because I was 24-something, quite young. When I graduated from the Naval Academy, Johnson had awarded me the, uh, my diplomas, you know, the top graduates got. And so the White House had done a lot of PR, and Johnson came in. And, you know, Johnson was a, a force, believe me. Mm-hmm. He said, Harlan, it's good to see you. I remember I gave you my diploma, and I thought, gee, his staff is really doing great work. <laughs> you got to tell me how things are going. And sitting there was, was Robert McNamara, who obviously, I mean, he, I'm Lieutenant J.G. Ullman, and he's the Secretary of Defense and the right. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and Walt Rothbaum, the Deputy National Security Advisor in the President's residence, even though I got to know McNamara quite well in later years. And so Johnson said, what do you think? And I said, Mr. President, you come from Texas, and you want it straight. We're getting the shit kicked out of us, and we got to do something about it. Well, the response was, not what you might think, the president and his team gave us a pep rally about how we're turning the corner and about how this is changing and General Westmoreland is going to be doing all this stuff. And after I left the White House, there was no doubt in my mind in March of 1967, we had lost the war. We had lost the war. And I make that statement because too often, I go back to my original point, we do not have sufficient knowledge and understanding. And once we get stuck on a course of action, it's almost impossible to change. We couldn't get out of Vietnam, unfortunately. We spent 20 years in Afghanistan. We couldn't get out of that right. until Biden left, and that was a huge mess, unfortunately. And we have to realize on the current course, I'm not suggesting a Vietnam ending or an Afghan ending. What I'm saying is it's going to take time, but we better start now because the inertia and momentum are going in the wrong direction, and it will take very, very powerful counterforces change the direction of the ship of state, which is crucial, as I said, to the future well-being of uh, forthcoming generations. Um, Harlan, I do have to ask, you only got about one minute left here. Uh, the fifth horseman in the new MAD, how massive attacks of destruction became the looming existential danger to a divided nation, the world at large. Are, the average person should absolutely read your book. They have a much better understanding about what this is all about. Will it do you think it'll frighten people? Uh, some people just get very upset by this. I well, imagine. I hope so. Yeah, right. Well, exactly. First, I hope the first part, the preface, as I said, 
uh, is meant to shock and awe people, saying, oh, yeah. my God. What's... But the rest of the book, first of all, is written in simple English, not jargon. So it's readily understandable. Oh, okay, but it paints an optimistic picture if we are prepared to understand what can be done and the resources we have. So on the one hand, you bet it's going to scare people to death. I hope. Yeah. On the other hand, that, okay, now that I've got your attention, this is what needs to be done. Because without administering that kind of shock and awe, people are just going to say, well, it's just another book and things aren't that bad and we'll manage to, to, to limp through. That may not be the case this time. I think it's wonderful. Harlan, you need to come back. I, I love talking to you. I learned a Anytime, lot. Anytime, Tom. I learned Anytime. a lot today, Harlan. I appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Harlan Ullman, ladies and gentlemen, U-L-L-M-A-N, the spelling. You can get the book anywhere, certainly on Amazon. The Fifth Horseman and the New Mad, How Massive Attacks of Disruption Became the Looming ex- Existential Danger to a Divided Nation, the World at Large. We'll take a quick break. I want to get Andy and Alex's reaction to what they think of this right after this. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home. List it on the MLS and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. And we are back with Stretch's Picks. You know, Tom, uh, there's a lot of analysis that goes into these picks. Yeah. And uh, I highly recommend betting, of course. I always recommend betting. Yeah, absolutely. So who's winning this thing? The kitties, the pack, the bears, or the purple? None of the above. Those are all the teams in the division. I know that. Well, who's your pick? I'm going with Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. What? It's not a football team. I know, but it's a hell of an HVAC company. They do the most thorough system tune-up in the industry. Sabre is one of the largest Bryant dealers in the state, which means you save. Yep, I'm going with Sabre, Sabre and Bryant, doing whatever it takes to keep you comfortable. It's also the smartest time to call and schedule your furnace tune-up with Sabre. Get the most thorough tune-up in the industry from the people who keep my home comfortable. Oh, uh, one more thing, Tom. What's that? Visit SabreHeating.com. Tom here for Continuum Weight and Well-Being. Continuum is here, it's new, and they're doing it differently. There are no meal replacements or foods you're required to purchase. There are no pills or surgeries. They specialize in customizing meal plans for you using all whole, nutritious foods. They don't just focus on weight loss. They are upfront with their pricing. And most importantly, Continuum is designed for long-term success. Schedule a free consultation and find out more today. Go to their website, ContinuumWeightWellbeing.com, or call or text them at 952 952- Four nine one six five two seven. That's Continuum C O N T I N U U M Continuum Weight Wellbeing dot com. I've learned so much from them, and I know you will too. Continuum Weight and Wellbeing Life Beyond Weight Loss Mode. I said, sisters, if you only knew, you would wish you were in my shoes. Uh-oh. Alex is belting out a tune. Me. 
I'll tell you, use me up. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this a few times? Apparently, Alex has been drinking. So. <laughs> Actually, it's the cashews and chocolate that have hit this. <laughs> I've got I've got sugar in my system now. Um, I uh, yeah, I want to thank Cassie uh, on the air, and, and I guess we have a new booking service. Is that Andy says new in the last couple of months? Yeah, relatively new. Yeah, Cassie's been relatively uh, new. Getting these guests from there. Those are very very impressive guests. I'll tell you, Lori Garver uh, and you know Harlan Ullman coming on and talking about. Those I, I thought those two were just terrific interviews. Yeah, because of them, not because of us, but or not because of me anyway. But yeah, terrific. I love learning things like that. And they're so even keel. All the people are very even keel about it. Isn't that great? So yeah. what do you guys think? Of, now you're 35 and 33. I'm twice Sandy's age, a little more than that from Alex. How do you see the future? Is this what we need? To, do we need to take people by the collar and go, look, you need to pay attention. You're being lied to on a daily basis by both of our political parties, and it's got to stop. And the news has got to really stop lying to people. Once again, not even mentioning where that $100 million was going on the news, I thought, I think is way out of line. All of these things we're talking about, to take the sides of the Democrats alone or the Republicans alone, I think is a horrible idea, don't you? Well, I mean, one of two things can happen, you know? It can be we make the people that are responsible for our information actually be responsible. Yes. Or the people consuming said information can be aware enough to realize that they are being fed certain information I don't know if that's in a ever certain happen, way, though. but I don't think either of those things are ever going to happen. The second one, it, I mean, you basically would have to cure human ignorance, which, yeah, good luck I mean, there. trust me, I God love... God himself couldn't cure human I ignorance. I love ignorance sometimes. <laughs> I love ignorance. Ignorance that's truly nice. is bliss sometimes. Oh, I love it ignorance. truly is, with certain things. I, yeah, I was definitely a lot happier back when I was so apolitical that I didn't know which party was which. That was great. Yeah, I agree. Bliss. I'd be much happier. Like mm-hmm. I said, bliss. <clears throat> but yeah, I don't know. It's... The mainstream media dying is going to be a huge step in humanity's improvement. If that Fox ever... News, CNN, MSNBC, yeah. they all Go have away. to die before humanity can continue to evolve. I agree with that. I cannot stand to watch any of them anymore. And then they're, all they do on, on each channel now is go after the other channel. They don't even give you the news anymore. Oh, that yeah. Carl Carlson is horrible. He's a terrible person. How, yeah, yeah. And then on Fox, oh, that CNN, it's the, filled with evil. Is there like, a, Jesus. Is there a CNN version of Tucker Carlson? Because it's always Tucker Carlson that people go well, after. That's because he's the one who gets all the ratings. He gets yeah. the highest ratings. And he, no one on but CNN is there really a, gets not nearly that much ratings. But is there like a Democrat, like a liberal version of Tucker Carlson? I, I, I mean, there have been I people who try. Yeah. yeah, but it doesn't. But it seems like Tucker Carlson really gets like all the attention when it comes to right leaning. Yeah, that's news true. That's true. Drama. I don't know. I, I just I don't understand why people can just tell the truth. We'll be fine. Stop lying to make money. Um, and I will tell you another thing. I, I finally heard uh, from a friend of mine uh, a couple more, you know, and I'm not going to say, but we have a relative that's uh, going through a tough time with these woke politics at work. I am. Several other people are. People are not going to put up with this. If you're going to be like that, we're leaving. We're going to, if you're going to be so woke you can't see both sides of things, I can't work with you. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. 
politics needs to get its these people need to get their head out of their ass and realize there are two sides to every story and most of the stuff you believe is complete bullshit because you're being lied to by your favorite news outlet and that's on both sides but this whole woke thing like you the one that really finally got to me was once again the man was a foreigner meaning he wasn't Italian. It's like, yeah, I know what foreigner means. You don't have to tell me what the word foreigner means. You figured that out. The band? He was in the oh, band? The band. <laughs> and then there was an article this morning about some town in Minnesota. I can't remember where it was. But I believe they were going to put on Taming of the Shrew. Would you look that up, Andy? Put on Taming of the Shrew, but apparently there's so many True. negative and horrible things in it that they're not going to do it anymore. They tr- and Who isn't going to do it? Uh, I think it's a school called Taming of the Shrew. It's in Minnesota, but I can't remember where it is. But they were going to do, like, the play? They were going to do a play, and they were going to put... Taming of the Shrew. They are going to put several different people oh, of Oh, here col- we go. Yeah, the Winona Yeah, company. Winona. There you go. Winona Theater Company calls Theater. off controversial Taming of the Shrew. And why is it controversial? All theater companies are like this now. Yeah, they are. Everything's They're all too stumbling well, I mean, over themselves like, to show how well... Artists yeah. are the most, you know, they yeah. want to... They all have the brain disease. Excuse me. <laughs> you take that personally? You take what personally? That all artists have a brain disease. Well, they probably do. Excuse yeah, me. You, <laughs> are you an artist? Mind. Are you an artist? No, I didn't know you I were I was an a dancer. Thank yeah. you very much. Oh, I didn't know that was artist. It's like, what? Like radio's being an artist. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> and no. She's got a very upset look on her face, folks. I'm just telling you. It sounds out. like they tried so hard to wokeify it that it just... Became Be, yeah, it just turned into a Frankenstein monster. Because mm. so let's see, they uh, there was a character named Kate mm-hmm. who is now a man, a black man. It was a white woman because I guess the white woman was there was like some misogyny involved, so they made it a man, but it can't be a white man, obviously, so it's got to be a black man. What do you mean there's a misogyny and involved? Petruchio is oh, now Petruchio. a woman. Oh, okay. Because Petruchio is like the aggressive one, and having an aggressive man, I don't know, it's... The thing... Okay. It's a joke. Just oh, choose a different play. Yeah, instead of like if, instead of canceling it. Or trying you know, to wreck it. Or trying to wreck yeah, it. Yeah, I just don't understand. I, I mean, that would be like trying to put... On a school play of Blazing Saddles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, trying to, like, redo the entire thing yeah. as, like, a, a G-rated film or a play. That was, like, all-inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like, that doesn't, it. no. It, yeah. What? It's Shakespeare. Was that 500 years ago? Let's see. Times have changed. Yes, they have. Shakespeare. Yeah, about 500. Yeah, about 500 years ago. So, yeah, maybe it... Uh, you don't need to change the thing from top to bottom. Maybe you should. That's well, our, that's history. Hey, a man playing Kate then actually is goes back to that's Shakespeare's true. origins. Mm-hmm. All roles were played by men. Yeah, they were. You're absolutely so, right. So hey, that that fits the bill. That's yep. how much you changed. Except uh, the reason they did that. Was, yeah, it was <laughs> the, the reason they did that was because back then being a play uh, actor was considered about the same as being a prostitute. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was. So Absolutely. if you had a woman actor, that would yeah. be basically like having her be a prostitute. Yeah, that and, wouldn't be good. You know, her <laughs> would not her be reputation good. wouldn't be great at that point. Right. But men, it's like, you know, have never really cared. I just, are we, are we uh, you know, again, 
you're 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 that in a middle thirties deal. Is this whole woke thing going to go away eventually? Because it's harming so many people with your bullshit ideas that you know everything and everybody else is a moron. And, of course, you're the one who's a moron. But uh, is it ever – is it going to go away? Because no. some people are telling me that it is fading. No. It's never going to – well, but the thing is, it's like it's just the people – that it's the really loud people that have the strong opinions and that's how it always is and with social media and cell phones and news outlets they're getting all of this attention why because it's loud people with but they're harming other wild ideas that's the whole problem that's how people always are going to be not all people but there are always going to be people that just need to be Stir in the pot. But is it a good idea? I'm going to stop you from harming people by harming you. Now, it's not necessary that you're harming people. They think you are, so you need to be harmed. And I don't understand that. Look, you don't want to go to the play, then you don't go to the play. It's Right? Yeah, that's the thing that it's just like, if you don't like it, don't. Then don't partake. That's the thing that I, you know, these people are all, how could somebody with a soul protest outside of a Planned Parenthood because of abortions. Yeah. Like, that's how could you do that? Blah, 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 blah. But then they're doing the same exact thing for something that they, they're out well, front com- of something protesting. It's the same freaking thing. They're committing a crime because it's illegal to protest outside a Supreme Court judge's house. It's only illegal if they go after them. I think they're. Not, I don't think they're supposed to even be anywhere near their. Property. No, I mean if the law goes after them for doing it. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, yeah, it is. It's illegal what something, they're doing. Just because something's on the books doesn't make it actually, actually illegal. Yeah. Well, what makes that. it illegal is if the powers that be say carry so. it through. Remember? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's tons of laws on the books that they just completely ignore. Yeah, mostly because true. you know those ancient. You know, you can't bring a donkey into town on Thursday laws. You can't, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can't exactly. own a duck in Illinois. Yeah, but I mean, there's a yeah. very long precedent that if the powers that be ignore a law, then the law doesn't exist. So, yeah. you know, if they just say, okay, you can go ahead and, you know, burn down anything you want, is it really illegal? Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. All right, we'll leave on this, uh, this note. Great, great uh, guest today. Thank you to Cassie and everybody else involved in that. Uh, this new service we have is terrific. There's no doubt about that. You're welcome. Oh, you're welcome. I did absolutely nothing, but okay, well, since I was involved. All right. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow, Dougie Sprinthal, Car Selling Secrets, of course. We'll talk to you then with the family.